The Bible Study Podcast, episode 180. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues with part two of a study on Elijah. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. You remember last week as we started the study of the prophet Elijah, we were in 1 Kings, particularly we were in 1 Kings chapter 17 last week, and we were dealing with the fact that the northern kingdom, which had rebelled from the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Israel had because they didn't want their people to go back to serve the king of Judah, they had basically changed religions. They had started worshiping the gods of the Philistines, which is the Baal. And this particular episode, we're going to deal with the consequences of that, but also a challenge by Elijah. But first we get this story. After a long time in the third year, and this is the third year of the famine, remember from last time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied, Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or a kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here, he will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So, It has come time for Elijah and Ahab to meet. It has been three years of famine, and God has gotten Ahab's attention, but there's another step that we're going to see in the rest of this chapter. But on the way to meet Ahab, he comes into this faithful servant of God, Obadiah. One of the things that we learn about in this story is we said that God doesn't so easily want to give up this people of the northern kingdom that he's going to let them worship other gods without doing something about it. He sent the famine at this point or the drought that has caused the famine. He has also sent them well over a hundred prophets. Obadiah was able to only save 100 when Jezebel was killing the prophets. God had sent many prophets to the northern kingdom to tell them to come back to him. And It got so bad, they were so dead set against people worshiping the one true God that Queen Jezebel was killing the prophets just for being a prophet. 
And Obadiah, who was faithful to God, was trying to save as many as he could. But now he's afraid that he's going to go tell Ahab that I found Elijah. He's going to come back and Elijah's not going to be there. And Elijah says, nope, this is the day. This is the day that finally Ahab and I need to talk. And so the story continues. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So there's going to be a meeting. It's going to be Elijah and these prophets of these other gods of Baal and Asherah, both again Canaanite gods. And we learn at this point that there are 850 prophets of false gods who are not only practicing in Israel, but they are eating at the queen's table. So they are the state religion. They are the religion that is acceptable while the prophets of God, like Elijah, have been in hiding or have been killed. Now, did you notice that Ahab thinks this problem is Elijah's? Ahab thinks that Elijah is the troublemaker, as if Elijah could stop the rain. Elijah doesn't have that power. Elijah is a prophet, which means to speak out the words that God wants you to say. Sometimes it means to tell the future, as Elijah, who says there won't be rain for for some period of time. And sometimes it just means to speak out the truth, which means God is angry because you are serving other gods. But basically, Ahab doesn't see that the responsibility for the famine, the responsibility for the drought, is his actions and his father's actions and his father before him. That when they turned their back on God, they caused this situation. That seems like a pretty typical thing. This is the bearer of bad news getting blamed for it. And Elijah is getting blamed for the fact that God is mad. But God is not mad because Elijah wants him to be mad. God is mad because of what Ahab has done. And all the kings of Israel before Ahab. And so this seems like a day to try and resolve things. So it continues, So Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And so Elijah proposes this test. They're going to set up two burnt offerings, but they're not going to set fire to them. Saying, if Baal is God, let him bring the fire to the burnt offering. If the Lord is God, let him bring the fire to the burnt offering. And let's put them to the test. Let's see which one is real. Now, obviously, Elijah has some instructions to do this from the Lord, or at least it's reasonable for us to assume so. But he has faith that God is real. As if three years of famine that were predicted by Elijah weren't enough proof, we're going to have a test here. And so it continues. 
Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bowls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl given to them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder, slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. I love the parallelism in this particular section, this no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Basically, they are praying to a false god. And so there is no one to answer. But Elijah, at some point, just starts this taunting of them. Some versions say, perhaps your God is busy, that perhaps your God is on the toilet. I mean, basically, he's he's saying, where is your God? Is he traveling? Is he busy? Why isn't he listening to you? And they are doing this wild dancing. They're cutting themselves. They're shouting. This has gone on for hours. This is roughly from the beginning of the morning until the time of the eating sacrifice. So sometime around sunset. And all day they've been shouting and cutting themselves and dancing and nothing has happened. No response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So Elijah, as you can see from this, sounds a little confident. Now, if you think he's confident now, then perhaps you would think even more so as the story continues. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar, even filling the trench. Now, this was a hard enough thing to begin with. The prophets of Baal have been praying all day for fire to come down, Elijah now not only makes it so that he is asking God to prove his existence by displaying fire, but he is wetting all the wood and the animal for sacrifice so that there is actually now a little moat around this altar. He is basically saying, this isn't a difficult enough problem for God. It may be way too difficult for Baal, but it's not difficult enough for God. And then he prays. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. God is showing off. God at this point does not want there to be two opinions as these people leave Mount Carmel. God wants them to know 
in mighty acts as he did with their fathers as he brought them through the Red Sea, that he is God and that Baal is not. Baal is a false god that they have been putting their faith in in vain. Baal can't help them. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishron Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servants. And he went and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elisha said, go back. The seventh time the servant replied, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and a heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And so now that this has been decided, Elijah gets rid of these false prophets, and that is the penalty for false prophecy in the Mosaic Law. So what he is doing here is what is legally required for a false prophet, just so you know. And uh, think about that when you're reading the National Enquirer's uh, predictions for the year. How many fewer people would make predictions if this sort of requirement were in place? And then the rains come. And at first, it's just this little cloud as small as a man's hand. And, and Elijah is sitting here constantly sending his servant back to look for the clouds, look for the clouds. And he sees them coming. And then he tells Ahab, you know, it's not only going to rain. If you want to get home again, you better leave now because the rains are going to be so hard you're not going to be able to get home. The drought is over. And Elijah himself, in the power of the Lord, runs on ahead of Ahab. So we have a couple things here. One is, God is not particularly thrilled when we worship other gods or when we put other things before him. God is a jealous God, it says in the Ten Commandments, and he desires that we serve one God and one alone. This is true for us as it was true for the people of Israel. The other thing I think we can learn from this is, God is bigger than the challenges we have before us. The problem of calling fire down from heaven to burn up the burnt offering wasn't a big enough problem for God. It wasn't a big thing for him to do that. Elijah had to show the people that not only can God do this, this is a trivial thing for God. This is the God who got you out of Egypt. This is a God whose arm has not grown short. And so I think we need to remember, too, that this God is still there, and our problems are still not too big for God. And then we get the faithfulness of Elijah rewarded. That finally, and this took years, remember that Elijah has been in hiding in Phoenicia for three years. And he has been living off of a constantly renewed small amount of food. They haven't been feasting in Phoenicia. He has been just one day away from starvation. They've only had one day's food for three years, and God has continually supplied that one day's food. But God has supplied, God has provided, and God has rewarded his faithfulness, and God has shown the people who is God. With that, we'll end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to send them to host at the Bible Study Podcast. 
You can also leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. This series on Elijah, I don't think will go on too long. I'm not sure what we'll do next. I am looking for ideas. I am not sure about doing Revelation, as some have asked, because I really honestly don't know that I am up to the challenge. I don't know that I understand or or actually that anyone really understands some of the more difficult portions of that book. So I'm looking for other ideas as well. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. As always, thanks so much for listening. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.